If you want to learn how to become an instant celebrity in your niche, and mind you, I know that tagline's been thrown around so much, but he's a, he, the guy I've got on the show for today, Glenn Twiddle, he's a real deal, and he's going to tell you exactly how, and it's actually a two-parter, so stay tuned. Welcome to Storytelling Secrets. This is the podcast for coaches, consultants, and course creators who want to unlock their core stories and use their stories to sell more online. It's a place to master persuasion and influence so you can build a deep relationship with your audience. And it's a place where real-world marketing strategies, tips, and lessons are shared freely. If that interests you, then you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Jules Dan, and I've battled my way from being a broke group fitness instructor to a full-time, in-demand, freelance email copywriter. Now, I'm ready to get to work. Follow along on my journey as I share my everyday hard-won lessons. I'm Jules Dan, and this is Storytelling Secrets. Okay, so the title of this episode, How to Become an Instant Celebrity in Your Niche. Look, it's not going to happen overnight, but the person who I've got on the show today is uh, he's got a great story to sh- share of the process that he actually used to get a really big celebrity to his conference, to his speaking event. I won't spoil who, uh, however, it is someone you will really definitely know. Um, but anyways, what I was trying to say was that... Uh, yeah, it's it's not an overnight process. However, everyone knows the benefits of even even if it's not like a you know paparazzi celebrity, but someone who is well known, that authority in their niche, people seek after you instead of you chasing after other clients. There's clear clear benefits to being that authority in your market. So I want to I want to introduce you to my guest today, Glenn Twiddle, and uh, he is he dubs himself as Australia's number one millionaire. Uh, real estate coach and I actually met uh, Glenn at a Zoom party because of COVID and all that but it was at my coach's Zoom party. Glenn came in at um, towards the end and he just came in and dropped some big story about um, how he met, first met that uh, that celebrity through his own workings by the way. He didn't just bump into on the street like he worked his way into that guy's circle and instantly I'm like, I have to get this guy onto the show, the podcast. Glenn's a very, very charismatic person. He's a great salesperson, heaps of lessons to learn and this episode, we're going to have to do two parts because the first part, it's all story-based. There's obviously a lot of great lessons he dropped in here, especially about you know like visualizing for your goals and achieving something that everyone thinks is impossible, um, how to actually get those big celebrities maybe to your event if you got something if it's an online especially when they tell you no um really really important so i, th- I figured i might talk about glenn's uh credentials who is he well okay here we go so glenn is the author of the best-selling book punching above your weight and has become synonymous with out-of-box marketing ideas for the real estate industry constantly testing boundaries of attention getting tactics in order to get agents noticed get trusted and get hired and he's also brought out a lot of really cool people such as Richard Branson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Gary Vaynerchuk, Eric Thomas, Josh Altman and Lewis Oritz and I guarantee you even if you are not a real estate agent, even if you're not even going to throw an event, there is so much gold to pick up from this episode um, that I just highly encourage you. It's also very entertaining like I said, he's a great storyteller, so some little tips as well. I don't have to tell you the tips. You can just pick up on how he tells a story and gets you engaged. 
And um, Glenn also has his book, uh, Punching Above Your Weight. I'm going to leave that in the description below. I, th- I think he told me that's what his call to action. So you can go check out that. And he's also got a podcast called Real Estate Renegades. Um, other, no further ado, let's get started into the show today with my guest, Glenn Twiddle. Hey, welcome back to Storytelling Secrets. I'm Jules Dan and I'm here with Glenn Twiddle and we're going to talk about a lot of really cool, interesting stuff, uh, celebrity marketing, how to be the celebrity in your niche, attracting big names to your platform. It's going to be really interesting. Glenn, thanks for coming on to the show today. Man, thanks for having me, bud. And I love the premise of a Storytelling Secrets podcast, man. I can't wait to go through your back catalogue, have a look at that, because it's been a passion of mine uh, ever since I became, I suppose, a student of this stuff much later in life than your good self. Uh, um, so, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm really impressed by the premise of your podcast. I can't wait to go through your back catalogue. And um, heaven forbid, I don't feel quite worthy, but I'm happy to be a part of that, uh, that catalogue. Oh, thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Glenn. And and for a bit of background, everyone. So um, Glenn and I, we'll say episode 100, you guys heard Pete Godfrey and that was a really popular episode. And he he talked about everything about riding tight. And uh, it was actually his birthday last week. Glenn came onto that Zoom meeting. (laughs) Suffice to say that that meeting was the opposite of riding tight. (laughs) (laughs) But it was good. It was entertaining. And then I remember one of the first stories that Glenn spoke about was like uh, one of the times that he met with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm like, okay, so we got to get him onto the podcast. We got to figure out how to reverse engineer all of this. And just in case you're curious, Glenn, a lot of the stuff that's in my catalog is inspired by Pete, of course, but um, before, before we sort of go into a tangent, before we've already started, I'd love to sort of get your background on like, how did you come, how did you get into this, uh, this niche, like becoming a celebrity or celebrity marketing and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I guess it was sitting in audiences of not even people like Pete, of Pete Godfrey. So I was, you know, back maybe 15 years ago, I was sitting in seminar rooms watching speakers like Pete Godfrey, like his uh, mentor and I suppose, uh, you know, colleague, you would say Mal Emery. And I became yep. a student of those guys, a serious student. And, um, and I joined uh, Pete's program and I, uh, in fact, Pete gifted me his program, $3,000 worth, uh, because I, I played guitar at a party at a Mal Emery event. And, and here's Pete Godfrey, who'd been speaking at that event. I had a great, um, a great admiration for him. Jeez, this guy knows his stuff, his words. Wow, this is good copywriting. Wow, you can say words in a different way and they get you a different outcome. That's pretty cool. Yep. So, I, um, so that night at the party, Pete had had a few red wines. I'd had a few bourbon and sodas. And they gave me a guitar and I played a few songs um, on the stage there. And, um, and I was done. I'd done a couple of songs. I wanted to get back to my drinking. And, um, and Pete said the thing that every person who knows how to play guitar, if they've ever been paid to play guitar, which I, I was just good enough to get paid to play, yeah. but not good enough to be a rock star, right? That's kind of, cause I'm, I'm not that good at singing. I'm not that good at playing. Yeah. But I was just good enough to get paid. So Whenever you've been paid to play guitar at a pub or a venue of any sort, you hear nightly at least once, if not 
five times. Do you know K-San, mate? And then here's Pete Godfrey asking me if I know K-San. Yeah. And I said, oh, man, no, I'm done. The band want to get back to it. And I sort of politely and respectfully, because I didn't want to play freaking K-San, right? I loved the song. But see, I again, I used to be the audience member who used to ask the musos to play K-San. And then when I became the, yeah, the I'm not that player, guy. Didn't want to play it. And so Pete said, I'll give you a copy of my masterclass if you play it. I'm like, give me that guitar. And so <laughs> I um, I got the Pete uh, Godfrey $3,000 masterclass yep. for a grand total of three minutes of me playing Left My Heart to the Sappers around K-San. And, um, and so, uh, so anyway, I was at that seminar. I was sitting there alongside hundreds of other, I suppose, wannabe entrepreneurs because I wasn't an entrepreneur at that time. I was... <laughs> struggling i not struggling i was doing okay in fact i thought i was a genius as a muso i would get paid three four five hundred bucks a night three or four nights a week to drink and play guitar it was wonderful but in my side time i'd just gotten into real estate and i was listing and selling and i'd over the years i'd become a sales manager but in a traditional real estate agency sense so that means i was the same as the dodgy ones that are in your letterbox every day being horrible at their job from a marketing perspective so i was at this seminar to learn how to do that job better And as a sales manager, I then started being a, I suppose, a coach of our team. I would teach our people how to do better. And before I met the Pete's and the Mal's of this world, I was just teaching them, make more cold calls and let's get fired up like they taught me. That's all they taught me. Make cold calls, get punched in the face hundreds of times a day. But the four people who don't punch you in the face out of every 200 that you might speak to in any given week, will give you listings that will make you some seriously good money. And that's all I taught my sales team was that mm. horrible method. Great um, for your confidence, isn't it, Glenn? Oh, yeah. God. It, I literally, <laughs> I heard uh, one of me and Pete's, and I'm sure your uh, mutual mentors, Dan Kennedy, uh, say that um, it's it's one step above coal mining, you know? And so, and I agree. So, oh, man. Painful stuff. So, uh, but that's why I was searching for the Mal Emery's of this world, for the Pete Garvey's of this world. And I found them and I was a rabid student. So but I remember once I was at Mal Emery's first platinum, right? He's got this inner thing. It was $12,000. I couldn't really afford to pay it, but I did $12,000 for the year, paid it in platinum. And at meeting number one, took diligent notes and I'll always have my pens here. You know, yep. if, like if you say something good and this, you know, this pen here has got a great saying on it. Make sure a client gifted this to me with my saying on it. Make sure we talk about that. But I avoid, <laughs> just in case you say something good, man, I am armed with pen and paper ready to take notes I'll forever. And I was note. doing the same thing at that seminar, that platinum meeting. So I went away, they were three monthly and I went away, implemented what I was taught Now, in this case, this was I ran an event because one of the things they were talking about is running events uh, as a great way to go from being a purveyor of the thing you do, i.e. a sales manager teaching my team, to being the educator to the general industry. So I thought, okay, fair enough. So I ran my first event between Platinum Meeting 1 and Platinum Meeting number 2. And by implementing the marketing strategies that they taught me, things like direct mail with lumpy mail grabbers in there, like a a toy car that makes the envelope lumpy. And, uh, you know, I remember I did a a little army man with a sales letter in there. uh, And and the headline was, does the market right now feel like you're you're fighting in a war? Um, I put a dinosaur in another thing 
thousand or so letters, and I split tested all these different grabbers. And the the um, the headline for the dinosaur was. Um, who is this guy and why is he saying such awful things about the real estate industry that their marketing belongs like it's in the Jurassic period or something equally as uh, verbose and, um, and, and things like that. And 200 yep. real estate agents came to my first event and that put $100,000 in my pocket in those three months. So um, I told Mal that at the second platinum meeting and Mal said, wow, well, I'm going to throw you a microphone on day two. You're going to you know, just jump up on stage and tell that story. Do you yep. reckon you could put some slides together overnight so you could visually show what you did? So I stayed up all night putting those slides together, did a talk for half an hour on the second day. And then it, it really hit home to me because I'm a rookie at this sort of seminar game. I was no rookie in my niche, but I was a rookie at this seminar thing. And at the lunch break, after I spoke... I was accosted by probably half that audience wanting to buy me drinks that night, which of course I gracefully accepted and got blind, <laughs> um, wanting to have lunch with me, wanting to see what I did. Yep. And it became amazingly apparent to me that me actually listening, taking notes, writing down action steps and taking action in the manner that those experts described to me resulted in a result well it seems that i'm the anomaly it seems that i'm the only one out of that meeting between meetings one and two who went away and took the action that we were taught fascinating <laughs> because they were all wondering what the hell the secrets were and i literally just did i was sitting beside them at meeting one did what we were told to do it worked magnificently. I mean, I know that the mouths and the pizza of this world have had million dollar events and mine was heaven forbid a little hundred thousand dollar one. So wonderful. Oh, and I've first try though. That's insanely good. Damn straight. Yes. And all I did was I used the marketing collateral. I put on an event. I invited Mal Emery to come and speak at that event. Mal did all the work. I didn't. Um, and so, but I guess the, the, the whole lesson there from that, story and again yep. there's levels to this i'm telling you a story so you might remember it and you might take action rather than if i just said uh, take action that's not a story whereas me rambling on and telling you this story you might get the moral of this story here on the storytelling podcast but it seems that the vast majority of people in the learning seminaring and sometimes you know even the coach coaching industry and things like that which i am in you got to take the action in a, in a big and bold way, manage the downside risk, of course, you know, make sure that you're not putting it all on the line. So if it doesn't work, you know, that's a Richard Branson yeah. uh, quote again, uh, I'm honored to say friend of mine now, and we've yeah. uh, done business together on a couple of occasions. Um, I've brought him to Australia before to come and work with my mastermind uh, clients. We'll touch um, on that. One of his Definitely. things is, is managing that downside, you know, make sure that if it doesn't go well, you don't, uh, you know, jump off a bridge or whatever. But once you've got that mitigated risk of the downside covered all in, or at least do something with what you've learned because you never know what it might do. So that's kind of how I came to uh, seminars and running seminars. And that first one, of course, that led to me just continually following that principle, continuing yep. to learn thousands and thousands. I stopped counting at 10,000 hours when I hit the magic Malcolm Gladwell uh, 10,000 hours principle. Yep. But I continually pushed the chips all in. I didn't. I didn't buy a friggin' BMW with the hundred grand. No, no. I joined Mal's fifty thousand dollar a year. Um, you become Mal program the next year, right? So I again pushed all the chips in. So I kept going all in. I kept 
hiring bigger and better speakers, you know, and it culminated in me hiring the most recognizable talent on planet earth uh, on multiple occasions, you know, and um, yeah. So, but it all started sitting in a seminar room, like yeah. hundreds, if not thousands of people did in that year. And, you know, um, there, there's an old story by Les Paul, uh, Les Paul, Les Paul. I'm looking at my guitar over there. It's a Gibson Les Paul, Les Brown, who is telling a story about how, um, he saw his teacher was saying, and one of you children will do X, Y, and Z. One of you children, like a high school teacher or something. And Les Brown with a tear in his eye later in his life met that fellow and said, I'm the one, sir. Do you remember when you said one of you? I'm the one, you know, and I still get emotional thinking about that story from Les Brown because I was the one in that, in that class of that year that went and took massive action and, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked back. I mean, it hasn't all been rosy, but that being said, I'm living an amazing life. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's phone number is in this phone. You know, that's ridiculous for a kid who grew up idolizing him, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, you, you got to be careful how, how big your dreams can be because you never know just what taking action might do to get towards uh, realizing them. And I'm just curious, Glenn. So it's a really great story. I'm pretty sure everyone has been in that same position where you've gone to the seminar, like, fuck, there's so many great ideas, write everything down and then nothing happens. And then sometimes, I don't know why, but there's just a catalyst where you're just like, look, I actually got to freaking do this. Whether it's a crisis point for me, it was this year in COVID. Like I had, like I had to do something because I was made redundant, worked my way up, reinvested all my profits so I could hire Pete and I just keep reinvesting Pete, keep reinvesting in Pete. And it's just paid off. And like you said, you did the exact same thing. Very, very smart lesson to do. And you said, you mentioned that you went ahead and uh, used the reinvested profits to then, and from the events to then get better guests and better guests. Is that how you then started to then think about what are some really good guests I could bring? Maybe, maybe I can bring on celebrity um, entrepreneurs or celebrity people. So then I can really boost the credibility of my, of my events. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to be able to um, have the benefit of, you know, 10 years of hindsight. So I yeah. guess what I went in slow levels, like I didn't go from level zero at my first event where I had no cred that the audience had never heard of me. I chose a good name that didn't require my name to mean anything. I called it the Queensland Real Estate Agent Summit. So I just chose a good name that sounded more professional than Glenn Twiddle's little event, you know? So, um, that, that, and I kept that for a few years. Uh, and, but then as I started to get more credibility, I definitely wanted the personal branding thing of Glenn Twiddle uh, to become um, more prominent within the marketing mix. So, but it was, it was low level. So I went from level zero. If, yep. Let's say we consider level zero um, where I started having no budget to speak of and really using manual labor and some marketing skill and a little bit of budget, to, but, but a nominal budget to fill uh, uh, 200 people into a room to, uh, you know, um, 850,000 was the budget for my um, my uh, largest event with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michelle yeah. Bridges, uh, and a host of celebrities and um, and experts and, and 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 all of that. That that was 850,000 um, in total of the expenses. You don't just go from That's one huge. to the other overnight. <laughs> yeah. And um, but I have seen someone try. And in fact, I heard she was inspired by me. She saw what I did with Arnold, hired someone, went too fast, too early. 
went bankrupt uh, because couldn't afford to, couldn't sell the tickets. They were too expensive, didn't do the numbers, didn't do the maps and couldn't afford to mitigate the risk. See, for me, when I had that 850, admittedly, I didn't have 850 in the bank, but I had enough in the bank that when the initial deposits came down, six figures, I could pay them. Then when the venue wants their figures, six figures in advance. See, all the revenue for an event happens after the event. All the suppliers and speakers and venues and catering and marketing all must be paid prior. So you're in trouble if you're going to, if you have grand visions of putting on an event, uh, whether whether physical or even during these times digital, because these guys still will charge you for their time. And the higher the level of celebrity, the higher the fee will be. So of course that didn't happen overnight. That happened with, with levels. And what I did was I just kept the next milestone in mind whilst I didn't even now, now, of course, say we're going 10, 12 years ago. I didn't have the vision of hiring Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? That didn't happen. I, I just started to push the boundaries of what's possible. Here was the first big leap. I went from just inviting my friends and my personal mentors like Mal Emery, like Kurek Ashley, Pat Mercedi, uh, Pete Godfrey, Brett Thompson, um, you know, those sorts of folks who didn't charge me a fee to come and speak. Yep. Right. So I went from inviting my friends and my mentors who I just used, I suppose, you know, you know, being nice, just begging, you know, Mal Emery, I'd paid him money. So of course he wanted yeah, yeah. to support his students. So exactly. he came, you know? So I went from that to paying a nominal amount of money for my industry expert, in this case, John McGrath, who you might remember from the block from, uh, you maybe you're a bit young, Julian, I don't know, mate. Hey? I'm 26, <laughs> but, but yeah. the context. <laughs> So yeah, John McGrath, John McGrath, I said to Julian the other day, just side note, I, I yeah, said yeah. him on the Pete party that he's, um, that he's young, good looking, tall. And I'm, I'm like hating everything about him because I'm this, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so what I did was mate, I, um, I pushed the boundary a little bit further than I thought. And I paid a five figure sum to John McGrath to come and speak at one of my events. So mm-hmm. that was me pushing the boundaries. I'd never paid a speaker before. Oh, gee, that's adding another 20 grand to the bill plus marketing. Oh, my God, am I going to break even on this? I'm in trouble. And so that was my first level. But again, it worked. Break even. Mal and Pete once said to me back in the day, if you can break even on the front end, which is an event, say I can get a couple of hundred people at an event or in the case of the first time I hired John McGrath, 600 people came to that event, right? 600 people. The event just broke even. But what have I got now as an asset? 600 new customers who have paid me a little bit of money once. At the event, 60 or so became clients of mine. So that more than covered the cost of the event and my time for the next year. And now I've got 540 people who did not buy anything but just came to the event who now start forming part of my database. Exactly. So every time I go all in and pay the money, in this case, just a, a token amount, although at the time it felt like, you know, everything, to hire my industry specialist who's famous to the industry, John McGrath, um, but not necessarily so famous that he can't walk down the street. Because when you get to that level of fame, can't walk down the street, get the checkbook out. 
know? Yeah, yeah. So, so many lessons in that. It's like it's it's, it's like what you said. You ha- this part of your brain is saying like, oh my god, this is a lot of money up front. I'm not seeing a return investment straight away. But like you said, it's all that thinking about money money later and like creating assets. Like you said, this huge amount of mailing list you've just had. People have put money down to come to your event. Um, yeah, because they're this- a buyer. And think about exactly. the quality of that list. They are a buyer. They have paid money for personal education. So it's a very qualified list as well. Yes. And, and I'm just curious as well. So what, just so my listeners know, what is the psychology behind, say, like getting a big name to your event or even like your first one, like John McGrath? What is it about that that makes someone be like, okay, I need to go to this event right now? Yeah, well, marketing is certainly one. You've got to find a, uh, and again, a, a Kennedy, you know, as people hear this, they might be saying, hey, stealing Kennedy stuff. Well, hey, that's where I learned it. Dan Kennedy, Mal Emery, Pete Godfrey, and Jay Abrahams, and, you know, those sorts of folks. So um, you need, oh, actually, I think this is a Gary Halbert thing, the great copywriter Gary Halbert, who says you need a starving crowd. So the real estate agents, whilst they are hard to convince to do anything because they have lucrative cash flow uh, when they are good at it, the majority are not good at it, so are broke, but um, they are hard to impact because they get so many offers on any given week. And certainly back in the day, that was still the case, but they are still a starving crowd, as Gary Halbert would say. So you need to give your audience an offer or a seminar and a promise that that seminar will deliver something they want. I see so many coaches fall in love with uh, NLP, for example, and I'm a student of linguistics and language and, and all of those things. And, um, you know, I, I even studied clinical hypnotherapy to get some linguistic mastery skills into my repertoire. Yeah. So, um, cause NLP is based on hypnosis and hypnotic principles and language principles, uh, from Milton Erickson, uh, at the time, the world's foremost hypnosis expert That's yeah. where NLP was founded by studying the language patterns of Milton Erickson primarily. And, um, and so, but I see so many people fall in love with NLP and then go out and they either can't apply it in the real world or try and run an NLP seminar and say, hey, come and learn NLP. And, and a lot of people, if you asked a thousand people out in the street, hey, do you want to come to an NLP seminar? Like 999, uh, probably a thousand. I'm saying, you get lost, you know? Um, whereas if you, you need to have a, an audience that want the thing you've got that your seminar will promise or that your event or that your coaching or that your educational materials or whatever it is that you do, you need to have an audience that wants your product or thing or service or outcome, or you need to know they need it and you need to have the uh, the verbal skills, the language skills, the written skills, you know, the copywriting skills delivered either verbally on a sales uh, letter video on a Facebook or on a Facebook live on a Facebook video ad. You need to have the verbal or the written skills uh, to be able to say the right words in the right way to, if they've got a bruise, let's use the metaphors. Let's yep. say they need to have a bruise on the side of their guts. You need to have the linguistic skills to poke your finger in that bruise because it'll hurt them a bit. And they go, oh, yeah, you're right. I do need that solution to that bruise. Yeah, okay, what's this thing you got? But if you poke an area of their body with no bruise, you'll just be annoying. Get your fingers off me, idiot, you know, kind yep. of thing. So, is that, um, so, so is that why you use a celebrity who's who may have that secret or the perception that they have that secret to poke and fix that bruise? Uh, the celebrity thing is merely... 
Bill Glazer, Dan Kennedy's former business partner, mm-hmm. used to call it, and this is not disrespectful whatsoever, but this is the metaphor he used, that a seminar or a group gathering is like a Tupperware party. Now, the ladies don't, now, for blokes out there, we got to educate you about the psychology of a Tupperware party. The ladies don't go to the Tupperware party to buy Tupperware. They go there for the wine. They go there for the chocolate chip cookies. They go there for the fellowship, right? They go there for things other than Tupperware. Does that mean they don't buy Tupperware? No, they buy Tupperware like maniacs at the end of that party, but they don't go there for the primary purpose of buying Tupperware. That's not the desire. Yeah. 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 So the John McGraths of this world, and then that, that you know, became, uh, just kept pushing the boundaries. That became Eric Thomas. That became Gary Vaynerchuk. That became um, uh, Mark Burris. That became uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on multiple occasions. That became Sir Richard Branson. Um, you know, all of those, that became George St. Pierre. You know, I was a wrestler when I was a kid. I, just for pure selfish reasons, I hired the greatest mixed martial arts fighter that the world has ever seen, George St. Pierre, to come and speak at one of my seminars just because I wanted wanted to right so that became all of that and they are only there really if they've got a good message or a good speech or good lessons like they all do to one degree or another they all either have a good a great or a phenomenal speech but that's secondary to them just being there it's the magic of People just want to be in the room with Richard Branson. People just yeah. want to be in the room with Gary V in the hopes that they'll get chosen to ask him a question and get sworn at by him or in the hopes that they can get a photo with Arnold, um, you know, uh, you know, holding up a double bicep or something, you know. So they are there. And what, what Bill Glazer used to call the celebrity at those events as the chocolate chip cookie in the Tupperware metaphor. You know, so they're not the Tupperware. You know what the Tupperware is? Our coaching program, further education, whatever your coaching program is for your viewers, for your listeners. The Tupperware is the the thing that is sold at the event either overtly or in the trade area or in the follow-up or however that sale is made, whether on stage, at the back of the room, at a, in a trade uh, show type, uh, you know, adjunct. Sometimes, you know, selling on the stage is inappropriate. So there's a trade area with all sorts of tools and implementation weaponry and all of those sorts of things. So sometimes the sales can happen there. Sometimes yeah. the sales can happen in a post-event uh, telemarketing follow-up sequence whatever the case may be um the tupperware is that and the chocolate chip cookie is the celebrity the the reason that they would come above and beyond the information because so many coaches and i used to say i you know it's a crutch that i used myself I wasn't a copywriter as good as Pete Godfrey. I wasn't a copywriter as good as Gary Halbert, Dan Kennedy, and all of those folks, Mal Emery, that I learned from. So I became pretty good, but by leaning on the credibility of Gary V coming to my event, a thousand people come to my event. If it was just Glenn Twiddle and his copywriting skills, 200 yeah. people might come to my event. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah, I really like that analogy, uh, the celebrity being the, the chocolate cookie. It's almost like nurturing a childlike desire that they've got. Like, oh, sick. I, I just absolutely need this. Been dreaming of it for years. Like you said, just picturing in the head, like, I'm. who knows? I might actually get to ask them a question. I might get to have a photo. You get to future pace the crap out of this. Like, you can get your photo and post all over social media, whatever, with Richard Branson or Gary Vee or whatever. That's awesome. I want to sort of steer towards uh, 
how did you court these celebrities? How did you get them in? Obviously someone could just say, I'll give you 50 grand if you come to my event, but it's a relationship business. So I'm curious to know how did you get these people into, into your events? Well, the first thing is, again, you've got to take it slow because if you go too fast, even if you're well-financed, they'll probably say no because they checked me out before any of them said yes. And so uh, the fact that I had some good events under my belt uh, was the first one that I really took a big chance and paid a lot of money for was um, Eric Thomas. Now, he'll still tell you, I don't know if you've heard of e, his name's Eric Thomas, E.T., the hip hop preacher, arguably. Well, he's got more views on his motivational videos than Tony Robbins does. So arguably number one motivational speaker on planet Earth. So look him up. If you haven't checked him out, E.T., Eric Thomas, E.T., right. the hip hop preacher. It's e. fantastic. So check him out. Um, and so he was my favorite motivational speaker. So I reached out to him. And I didn't know it wasn't him at the end of the Facebook account, but it was, right? Uh, but it, no, so was it? It was his, um, his, his homie, his best mate, his, uh, his, his business manager, his partner, his essentially brother without being related, CJ. And if you listen to the Secrets to Success podcast that they subsequently went on to create, CJ is the main host and ET is, of course, the, you know, the, 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 the main speaker uh, and CJ is the host. So it was CJ at the end. And anyway, we went back and forth a little bit and came to a deal. Now, Eric will still tell you that I'm on the homie discount, right? That's Australian for mates rates, right? The homie discount, he used to call yeah. it. But for me, that was again going to another level where the first time I did that, I mortgaged a house, and I ended up selling that house in order to fund the risk of bringing in an American US international. So there's the limit that I went in. I went all in and I didn't have enough to cover it. So I had to remortgage the house that I ended up selling in order to fund that first uh, big event. Uh, I think that had 500 odd people. Now it's funny, the, the year before uh, I had 600 people without a big US import and I had 500 with a big US import was more expensive. So maybe the first event with John McGrath and that was right place, right time. Who knows? It is like gambling a little bit. You know, sometimes you get 600, sometimes you get five, sometimes you get 1500, sometimes you get a hundred. You got to weigh up the, the risk and the celebrities pulling power versus the budget they're asking for. You know, they, now these are the lessons I learned in hindsight at the time. I just loved Eric Thomas so much. I tried to come to a deal. I thought, oh, how do I make this happen? And, you know, in fact, I've still got in one of those books over there, um, uh, Eric's book. And in fact, you know what? You might, your video guy might edit this out or you might leave it raw. I don't know. Give me a <laughs> He's going off camera right now, trying to get this book as we speak. All right. So note down the time. You'll notice that I'm in COVID shorts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this is the book that I ordered of Eric's. The Secrets to Success, right? I ordered this book before I met him, before anything. And as I read this book, I promised myself, see how he wrote it there. Uh, he signed it, 8th of the 12th, right? 8th, 2012. And I wrote to myself, have a look at that. In 2013, I'm getting you out here and I signed it, right? And then I, I, I reread it again. I wrote, damn right, mate, right? So I'd made a promise to myself. And then what I did is I wrote a promise to myself in the back here. And I might, I'll take a screenshot of this and send it to you so you can see yep. it. But it's Eric. Thank you so much for your teardrop. I, I wrote a letter to him, but I wrote it in the back of my book and I signed it. And I basically said, um, you know, that uh, uh, I can't wait to host you and your family out here. 
get to know someone personally who I feel like I already do through this book. Um, this amazing book in your TGIM, that's Thank God It's Monday, the little podcasty series thing he's got, and the other stuff of yours that I have. I'm a better speaker, just having read this, uh, and good to great is coming, and then let's see what it will take to hit phenomenal, Glenn. So I promised myself in writing in multiple places that I was going to bring Eric Thomas out to this country for the first time, and then the next year uh, I did. So I put it out there, and then despite the money, I took every penny I had and some pennies that I didn't. I pushed all the chips in just on the hopes that Eric was as good for the rest of my, uh, my, my audience as he had been for me. And that was the big one that sort of, when, when we made that happen, I visualized it for months leading up to it. I went to the room and I got a good look at what the room that was going to look like. It was City Hall, Brisbane, Brisbane Town Hall. And there's a big organ behind me. There's a beautiful polished wood floor. It was just amazing venue. And I looked out at the seating arrangement, how it was going to be. And I imagined introducing Eric Thomas to a full crowd. And I visualized that. And then I just did everything both monetary, action-wise, just everything to make that happen. And then once I sort of had that moment where I was standing on that stage introducing Eric Thomas and everyone's going crazy because he's got rabid fans, um, I started to think, well, actually, it was when Eric was talking in his speech, he asked this question. It was and I was asked this question twice by two speakers, same question, but different wording. And both times it was the same answer. And Eric's, and the question might be interchangeable with the speaker, but Eric asked and the other speaker asked this same question was, what would your goals be if you weren't afraid? Right? Big question. And the other way it was worded to me is, what would your goals be if you knew you couldn't fail? Now, to me, that was the same question. And both times separately at different events, I wrote down the same answer and that's have Arnold Schwarzenegger headline at one of my events, my childhood hero who I could quote every line to a bunch of his movies. I, yep. I've loved him since I was a kid. We used to walk around high school going, you know, chill out and all of, all of that, just doing bad impressions and that. But we all, me especially loved him. And so in with, with, with the safety of the way that question was worded, what would your goals be if you weren't afraid? Or what would your goals be if you could not fail? Well, in my business, that would be my goal. Now, of course, here in the real world, I am afraid and I can fail. But with the safety of that caveat, it allowed me to actually think what would be the big dream, the big goal if I couldn't fail. And so I wrote it down, right? I wrote it down. And uh, within a year, we had done it. Within a year, we'd done it. So, that's, that's uh, and we'd fantastic. hired Arnold. So it was all about putting it out there. Yeah. So it, it, there were some steps, of course, that made that happen. But uh, yeah, man, it was that was big. Well, that question was big, man. I'd urge you and anyone to ask, what would the goal be? You okay. Know? Let's let's say my audience write down that goal, and let's also say that they're probably quite a few steps behind you. We we don't have. But for starters, put the put the put the wouldn't fail goal, right? Yes. Because then the next step, and I love that you've asked your audience to do it. So write it down, right? And put it somewhere where you can't lose it. Like I put it down in the book here, right? What I did with the Arnold goal when Eric asked me what would the goal be if you couldn't fail, I made a PowerPoint. And I'll, I'll send it to you so you can throw it up on the screen. I made a PowerPoint badly in Photoshop and it was horrible, right? Because I made it myself. And then I showed some of my students when I was telling them this story about my goal setting, 
I put that slide up in a presentation to some of my students, right? Yep. Yep. But, but then I went home and I thought to myself, oh, uh-oh, because I didn't realize what I'd actually done. And then I, you know, you mentioned before going into the future and stuff. So I future paced, I go into the future and I think, okay, two or three years from now, now that they know that's my big grand dream goal, that audience of my students who I'm telling they can do stuff to, right? I'm saying that you can do it. You can do it. Set your goals big and all of that. They would have the right to come to me in two or three years and say to me, Hey, Glenn, how's that Schwarzenegger goal going? Well, if I went back to him and said, Oh, that wasn't my real goal. That was just the, if you couldn't fail goal, you know, that was just, <laughs> yeah. you could imagine me as a mentor, how that didn't fit. If I was to ever, so here's what I did. And this is where I admit something to you. That's embarrassing, right? Embarrassing. Love these stories. Go for it. Well, I knew I couldn't ever do that because at the time, a couple of years prior, Donald Trump came and spoke in uh, Sydney uh, uh, well before the Trump presidency thing. It was just Donald Trump, you know, 2011, 2012 or something. But years before, he'd spoke in Sydney. And uh, Tony Robbins spoke at that same event, as did Robert Kiyosaki. And I heard on the grapevine that Trump's bill was $2 And that the others, it added up to four million in expenses before they even opened the doors. Four million, right? And so and I heard that Trump was two million. And so I thought to myself, Arnold is a billion times more famous than Donald Trump. That means Arnold, I'll never be able to achieve that goal because the mathematics just does not work. I'd heard that his bill for a movie was, um, you know, 20 million plus a Learjet for six months work. And I'm like, yeah, that'd probably be right then. Two million to fly all the way to Australia. So I'm in my head thinking this big goal never can happen. Can't happen. So what I did was I started searching for how do I find who represents Arnold so I can get the quote so that I'll have an excuse when one of my students comes to me years from now, and I did imagine in my mind this fellow student friend called Chris Gilmore, multiple successful real estate agent, been a student of mine for 10 years. Um, you know, he became a speaker. He'd speak on stage with me and just a great all-around guy, great business owner, great real estate agent. Yeah. And um, I imagined him sort of looking at me like, and then me pulling out this quote saying, well, you understand, mate, he's, he's $2 million. Um, what that means, you know, you, you know, real estate, the numbers don't add up. That's why I had my excuse already memorized and practiced, right? That's why yep. you don't see big Hollywood superstars like Arnold at, at the big conferences uh, in our industry or in any industry for that matter. That's why you don't see him because the numbers don't back up. It'd have to be $3,000 a ticket that no one will pay. Uh, they'd have to buy coaching programs to the tune of 10,000. No, like numbers just don't work. Sorry, mate. Yep. I had my excuse. All I needed was the quote that came back from Arnold saying the 2 million and I was home and hosed. I'd made my, 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 um, you know, my, my goal. I'd given my lesson of dream big. I'd got my excuse for when I fail and, uh, and happy Glenn, I can go on with my coaching business without the conflict of not even having tried. Right. And the scariest thing on planet earth happened next after a little bit of toing and froing, of course, the answer was no first. The answer was no, forget it. Um, I got the same the answer. Uh, well, it was, well, actually the first couple of steps, it was agents who weren't really his agent. Yeah. Right? They were just sort of lead generation who would get me as a lead 
then they'd try and find who Arnold's agent is. There's a few of them out there. So beware so them. Middle, 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 middle man. Middle, middle, middle man. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you've got to beware them because if 10% is clipped on the ticket through every level of middle man, it makes the, uh, you know, like right now, the last time I hired Arnold, no middle man, straight to him. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, makes it better. There's no 10%, 15%, 20% middleman at all. Wonderful. So at the start, I had to find my way to find his people. But eventually when I did, the answer was still no. And then the answer, I went back, we'll say, well, here was a good word that I asked. Well, what would have to happen in order for it to be a maybe? You know, what would have to change? Is it more money? Is it different timing? Is it sometime when you're in the local air, blah, blah, like whatever. So that went on for a couple of months of it, just not regular little bit of backwards and forwards thing and stuff. Yeah. Um, but eventually the no became a, a probably not. And the probably not became a, well, no, but, and then the no, but became a maybe if, and then the maybe if became a, a, a how about, and, and, and the deal was done. And the scary thing happened when the quote came in for the money. It was more money than I could do. It made the Eric Thomas risk look pale uh, it was more money than I had, more money than I could do. But if I went to some of my students and said, hey, you know that coaching money you pay me? Um, give me a decade up front. Like, and I only jokingly say that, half jokingly, because I said that to some and some of them gave me some, some checks, right? Um, if everything I pulled in together, and I guesstimated it cost about $500,000, including venue, speakers, Arnold, yep marketing etc that's less that's than the two mil like you, were, you like then you were judging but exactly. still quite a lot exactly so but it was i couldn't afford here was my dilemma i could not afford to say yes and i could not afford to say no yeah yeah you imagine you're much. in that dilemma can't afford to do either one in a decision because if i say no i must in all good conscience stop being a coach i must right i can't well, this is me. Maybe some coaches can. And actually, I know some coaches do. They're broke as shit and they're up there trying to teach people how to be prosperous. So do your diligence on who you choose as a coach. But yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't be too weak to say yes and then preach that I'm strong. You know what I mean? I couldn't do it. So I had to say yes in the off chance that it worked. And um, so I, I took the leap of faith again, and I had houses and stuff. So again, I sold uh, uh, another house, put that on the line, um, yeah. you know, put down the, the six-figure deposit that was required on, um, on my friend, uh, the Terminator, and um, then sold enough tickets to cover uh, the venue's bill that was coming. Then, and so as a bill come in of hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes 50,000 here, 100,000 there, bill, bill would come in, sell enough to pay it. Bill would come in, savings yeah. enough to pay it. One Bill nostril above the, above the water. <laughs> Absolutely. And so whilst I wouldn't recommend necessarily leaving it that close, the opportunity came where they came to me and said, well, if this date works out, it wasn't the right opportunity. It was, I had to say yes, because, um, and, and I did think about the downside. I thought, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'm still alive. I've still got great marketing mentorship in my world. I know how to make money. I lose a couple of houses. I go down fulfilling a lifelong dream of working. I just want to meet my childhood hero, let alone freaking be friends with him. 
You know, like I've been to his house now half a dozen times. Uh, my book cover is me working out, and this was his yeah. idea. I was trying to lose weight. That's my book cover of me at Gold's Gym at his request with him putting me through the paces at his home gym of Gold's Gym in Venice Beach where he said, get over here, we're working out in three days. Be right there, sir. Off we go. You know, um, so I didn't. That, that wasn't the plan. The plan was I just wanted to meet him. And I thought, yeah. hey, if I go down with that as a story, that I went broken, bankrupt, trying to hire Arnold Schwarzenegger and it didn't work out, hell, what a way to go. Yeah. It worked out okay, though. <laughs> so, Glenn, can I, can I pull you up? We, we do need to wrap up soon, unfortunately. I could keep talking to you for ages. Um, double episode, brother. It's all good. <laughs> we'll come back to do part we'll two, that's we'll for sure. We'll come back and do part two in another time. No problem. Uh, I definitely want to hear... Because this is the part where I've, I've learned this lesson and it's all about the people. There are so many people who give up after email two or three or four. Um, and my biggest breakthrough this year was when I tried to get into a podcast and I sent 10 follow-ups and they're finally like, okay, you broke me. You can come on the show. And that's when I learned, okay, this is the secret skill. You just, is not, there's nothing to it. You just got to be relentless for the follow-up. So when you got that first few no's uh how did you spin it differently each time you came back to persuade them to maybe to probably to okay yeah well the first one was the what would it take you know and they said well if we were in the area ever or if uh if it was a ridiculous amount of money or yeah. there was a few oars and the one that i latched onto was if it was convenient to us so i kept liaising with them on what their schedule was i was looking for an opportunity that they were going to be in the Asia Pacific region. They were deal done, more money than I could afford, but it was less and less money than they wanted to accept. So it was, le- they even thought that this insane amount of money was them doing me a deal. And when I went back with a counter offer that was lower than what they offered, if you could be laughed at over an email without being insulted and actually them going, ha ha, you idiot, nice joke or something. They didn't do that. They were not disrespectful, (laughs) but literally there was no backwards and forwards with the counter offer. It was here is your offer. It's less than what we want. Take it or leave it. And that's, I learned that lesson very, very quickly. The next time I just said, you know, and Arnold and I, at the first event, he invited me to his house to hang out at a party with him and 40 of his mates Sylvester Stallone was there, Jason Statham, Tom Arnold, you know, Don Cheadle. Like me and two of my mates and Arnold and 40 of his mates drinking bourbon and hanging out and playing cards. Crazy talk, right? So we got friendly uh, at the event and we became friends since, you know, then. I won't say, you know, well, no, you know what? He invited me to go skiing just before COVID and bloody hell, the COVID put a, I, I would say that we're mates. It's crazy yeah. talk. How is that possible? You know, so, um, uh, but um, it started with me asking the question, what would have to happen for X? And then I analyzed their response, found my opening, and it was convenience to them. Uh, the budget came through. But then it, there was two things also. I came to it with the energy. In this case, this may not be the case with all celebrities, but it certainly was with Arnold. Fanboy energy, they could smell it on me and they liked it, right? The respect of fanboyness. Now, that and not be able to write the check would not have got the job done. Sure. Check and douchebag energy. So a budget, but being a bit of an idiot or being a, even being maybe even a professional 
would not have worked. But the combination that they took pity on me, maybe dropped their rack rate to still insane, but maybe dropped their rate a little bit, was the combination of fanboy energy and the ability to write a check that was going to, uh, you know, um, sort of d- d- cover the fees, you know, because you can imagine what his time is worth, you know. And um, mm-hmm. so it was those two things. But the, the primary thing was what would have to happen, you know, and what they call that in NLP world or in hypnosis world or in linguistics world, what would have to happen for, it's called eliciting of values, you know, what would have to happen, f- you know, X. So that's how you would say, well, what would have to, have, have to happen, Julian, for you and I to go on a date? Right. So you and I now I'm, 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 you know, playing for the other side. Let's just well. say, right. Yeah. Well, what would have to happen is, well, I'd have to have a sexual disposition to that <laughs> way and I don't or whatever. To- you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm eliciting the values. Now I look for the opening. Right. So um, that's a key, key lesson. Uh, what would have to have to happen? Um, do you mind if we, we mind if we end it there? I, I do have another call right after this, um, but on, that no we, we we have to like do part two of. Let's do it, man, because there biggest- is part two. It went on from there, but um, what I would say is, guys, uh, I just thought, look. Um, Julian asked me to get you guys something good for yeah. you guys. So if you've stuck around to the end, you deserve a reward. I did an event that was two thousand dollars a head. It was with Mal Emery. Right, Mal charged two thousand dollars a head. I yep. spoke for two hours at that thing on a particular topic that Mal asked me to speak on, and uh, I put that up. It is behind an email wall, but because you're not my niche, um, it's I'll never email you. Uh, but chuck your email in. It's at instantcelebrity.com.au, and that two-hour. $2,000 presentation is there in its entirety where I go through some of these principles uh, in, in sort of two hours worth of detail. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's a good little place to sort of get started or go to Amazon. I did, I dropped the price on this for your yeah. interview. I dropped yep. the price on this on Amazon to a buck. There you go. My book is a buck on Amazon and I changed it because I knew we were talking, man. Okay. So there you okay. go. Go to Amazon. Awesome. It's a buck. <laughs> so now you've kind of gotten to know Glenn, because I think that's really important. So many podcasters can jump on and just give you a shit ton of information and they don't really know, like, and trust the person. But you're a really good storyteller, good fit for the podcast, Glenn. Um, and I, I definitely want to be checking out those principles and we'll be doing part two. But um, are you on social media at all? Where can my, Where's the best place for my audience to find you on top of yeah. the... Well, if any uh, marketer worth their salt needs to do anything other than say their name and flash it up on the screen, Glenn Twiddle, I should have just a business card that just says Glenn Twiddle. Because if you're a marketer and you can't be found just by your name, then you're not a marketer. So there you go. That's all they need. I'm everywhere. And with a name like Twiddle, believe me, I'm the only one. It, it's, it, is, it, is, it has a great <laughs> ring to it. Glenn, thank, thanks for coming on to Storytelling Secrets. Congrats on the podcast, my man. Well done. Cheers. All right, that's a wrap for this week's episode. If you wanted to grab that training that uh, that Glenn mentioned, it's uh, instantcelebrity.com.au. I'm just going to leave a link in the description below. So that was a two-hour chat he did talking about a lot of the principles that we just covered in the stories today. Um, that's also there. And if you want to grab his book, Punching Above Your Weight, it's got a picture of him and Arnie training. Uh, that's going to be $1 on Amazon, I believe. And I'll leave that in the link description too. Other than that, this is Jules Dan from Storytelling Secrets. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll be back with part two. Well, not won't be won't be the next week, but it will be, we'll be back soon. See you later. Bye.